0: Lord, You are the fountain of life Restorer of my soul I worship You today Lord, You are the fountain of life Restorer of my soul I worship You today My soul. So
1: Hello, everyone. This is Charles Sutter, host of the Fountain of Life podcast, and I welcome you to today's episode. Today, we'll continue on our reflections in the Book of Psalms and our theme, The Man Behind the Words. Reflections or meditations in the book of Psalms. So, we are continuing to look at the backstory behind some of the Psalms that we read and they inspire us to see what lessons we can learn from them and also how we can be encouraged when we go through challenges. Because David wrote most of these Psalms when he was going through a lot of challenges in spite of all the promises that god had given him today we want to meditate on psalm 57 and psalm 142. david it appears david wrote these two psalms even though the compilers separated them by so many pages he wrote these two psalms when he was in caves and In the book of 1 Samuel, we see two instances when David and his men were in caves. And each one of those cave environments or circumstances brought different aspects of David's life, which will help us to understand what was going on in his heart or to reflect on his value system. What is it that drives him to do what he does? That is so inspiring that God will call him a man after His own heart. In Psalm fifty-seven, this is what David wrote: he "says Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in You, and in the shadow of Your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by." We cannot relate with that when. We get to tough places or tough times. We want somewhere we can hide. Somewhere we can take refuge until the storms of life have blown past. So this is a prayer that David was praying in some of the most unfriendly environments that you can imagine. Just a few months back, or maybe a couple of yeah, months back, he was living in a king's palace. Happily married, was seemingly doing good. And then suddenly, his whole world collapses around him. So, he wrote this Psalms so or he penned these words at the low points of his life. So, let's look a bit at the backstory and then we'll come back to the Psalms to look at the value of the words that he put and how they reflect some of the pain and the issues that he was going through when he wrote them. The first instant when he had to run into a cave was after he got away from Akish in 1 Samuel 21. He had nowhere else to go. Imagine life was so desperate you have to run into the arms of your enemies to survive. But that was where he was. So running into this cave was between the rock and the hard place. Do you go to Saul and get killed? Or do you stay with Achish and he manipulates you and uses you for his own purposes or kills you? So he ran into this cave called the Cave of Adulam. And let us read the story from 1 Samuel 22. In the first verse, this is what the Bible says. David therefore departed from there, there being Gath, and from the control of Achish. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adulam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontent gathered to him. So he became the captain over them and there were about 400 men with him. So imagine this situation. You are running for your life. Everything is breaking and falling apart around you. But people see you as their hope. It couldn't get any worse. The king, King Saul, had become a deviant. He's obsessed with himself, obsessed with just himself. Not God, not the people, not anything. He was descending into complete anarchy as a ruler. So all this motley band of no-hopers, as I may describe them, were aggregating towards him and were coming and were seeing David as their hope. Like they say, misery likes company. So here he was, desperate, trying to find his own footing. And now he's now saddled of being the hope defender provider for 400 people. What is he going to do with all these people? How is he going to provide for them? How is he going to protect them? Like they say, anybody who aligns with David automatically becomes Saul's enemy. So he naturally has to build a force to protect all these people, including his own family. So he strategizes and he brings his mother and father to Moab because his grandmother, Ruth came from Moab, so he felt he could have some mercy with the king of Moab. And of course, Moab is at war with Israel. So it makes sense that they will harbor Saul's enemies, as it were. And then David made a plan. The prophet told him, you know what? Get out from here, from this stronghold, and then go to the land of Judah in the desert or the forest of Hereth." So he goes there. Now, what we see here is... Somebody who is really desperate, seeking for hope, seeking for strength, seeking for life, and seeking for God's defense. So when you wrote this word in these Psalms, he was praying. Sometimes that's how life brings us. We get to a place where practically we are in a cave. It could be a financial cave. It could be a marital cave. We are hemmed in. There's no hope. There's n- we don't know what is going on around us. There's no sunlight. You are trapped inside that darkness. There's only one way of escape to get out of that cave. And without strength and without sustenance, how are you going to make it? So David was totally dependent on God. And I like the words he used. He says, and in the shadow of your wing." He really needs protection now. He's got it to the point to realize that, you know what? There's just no way I can be able to thrive on my own. And he says, in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. You can't be any more vulnerable in the cave than... You can't be any more vulnerable than being in the cave where you, you are practically trapped in that situation. So it makes sense that in his prayer... He's looking for security. He's looking for a place of refuge. And he says, until these calamities have passed. In the midst of that darkness, he sees hope. He knows that when he's hiding under the shadow of the Almighty, he will be safe. And there will come a time when all these calamities will pass. And that is a kind of encouragement that as children of God, we need to tell ourselves. When it seems we are trapped in a cave and life has hemmed us in and we don't even know what is going on and we don't even know what our next steps are going to be, we need to run into the shadow of the Almighty. wait out the storm, and let God shield you and protect you. And then it goes on to say, I'll cry out to God, Most High, to God who performs all things for me, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who will swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So, He has the fortitude to see God in all his glory. He exalts his God. He has clear vision as far as God is concerned. In the midst of the tears, in the midst of all the fear and anxiety and all, he still counts his safety, his security to be totally in God. And that is where we need to be. In verse 7, David says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast, and that is the same kind of phraseology he uses in verse 1. Be merciful to me, oh God, be merciful to me. Double emphasis, Lord, be merciful to me. And here he says, My heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. If you didn't hear it the first time, I'm saying it again, oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise, I wake my glory. Awake, lute, and harp, I will awaken the dawn. This is a man in the cave. I don't know sometimes where life brings us, but David is teaching us that all hope is not lost, even in the darkest and the inner recesses of our pain and our problems. If we will shift our focus and cling onto the mercies of God, we will even have the strength to sing, to awaken the dawn. We will even have the strength. And the word uses my glory. Our tongue is our glory because this will be interpreted later by Paul when he's recounting David before God. He will teach us that our tongue is our glory. And so David is saying that he's not going to keep quiet. He's not going to complain. He's not going to whine. He's not going to be angry at God, but rather his heart will be steadfast in God and he will sing and give praise and he commands his tongue to come and wake up my tongue. Wake up my glory. Wake up and let us sing praise unto the Lord. Praise breaks the weight and the yoke of the enemy. When we praise, we enforce victory. Praise is a firm assurance of our trust in God's deliverance. So each of these psalms that we are looking at, David always infuses it with generous amount of praise because he knows that that is how he's providing God a throne for God to come and sit on and judge his case. So here he is in a cave with 400 no-hopers surrounding him no I army, mean nothing and he has to be the one who leads them who guides them and be their captain nothing can be more desperate than that in the same situation he will also write in psalm 142 and this is what he says i cry out to the lord with my voice with my voice to the lord i make my supplication i pour out my complaint before him I declare before him my trouble. And that is the same context which says that he's going to wait under the shadow of the Lord until all these calamities are over. He's not hiding the fact that he has troubles. He's not pretending that everything is fine. He's not pretending that everything is just great. He acknowledges before God that he has troubles. How sincere are we when we are praying to God with regards to the issues that surround us? Do we sugarcoat our problems to God? Do we make it sound like we are in charge and everything is okay? Sometimes it's okay to share a tear. David will say that God collects his tears in in a bottle and he remembers all his sorrows. So it's okay to cry, child of God, before your maker. It's okay to let God see your pain. It's okay. He knows it anyway. It's okay to let God know that you want all of this trouble to be over. Verse 3, and this is what he says. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has filled me. No one cares for my soul. So here he was pouring out his heart before God. Before we conclude on these two Psalms, let us look at the second instant when David and Saul's path cross in a cave. Go with me to First Samuel chapter 24. In this time, David had fled from the cave of Adullam, Judah, and is now hiding in the wilderness of Angede. And it's a very, very, it's a deep forest with rocks and all sort of things. And they found a cave to hide. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 24. Now it happened, when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of Anjaday. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men from all around Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy to your hand, that you do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David had troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I shall do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him. Seeing his anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So this was an opportune moment for David to finish this problem once and for all. Any other person would have just praised God, here comes my enemy. Vulnerable, He's surrounded and asleep. Let's finish this fight now. But that wouldn't be what David would do. If it were so, maybe he would have killed David. But whatever it was, David wouldn't stretch out his hands against God's anointed. He respected the order, the order of God's anointed, and he wouldn't touch him. So, When Saul left the cave, David waited till there's been some distance between them. And he called out to Saul. And note the word David used. My Lord, the King. This speaks to his heart. Here is somebody who is out to kill you. Here is somebody who has hounded you like a prey. And just wants you dead. And yet you had the opportunity to kill him, you said, no, you wouldn't do it. And even when you cut a piece of his robe, you felt so guilty and so bad that you did that. What kind of spirit drives David? What kind of mindset does he have to pursue righteousness in the midst of so much wickedness against him that he doesn't want revenge in any way? So he still calls Saul his lord, the king. Because he sees Saul as a representation of God's purposes for Israel. Even though Saul had failed, and he knows that he is going to be the next king, David is not going to be the one to force issues. He wants God, who he has been praying to in Psalm 142 and Psalm 57, to work out his purposes for him. So he still recognizes. That Saul is king. What lesson do we learn here as children children of God? Do we take matters into our own hands? Because we are so desirous. To see the end of our calamities. Are we going to cut corners. Just to ease our pain. Or are we are prepared to wait. On God's timing on God's purposes. It's really hard and painful waiting on God sometimes. But at the end, it brings with it the reward of righteousness, which is for eternity. So David wouldn't cut corners here. He want God to deal with Saul himself. So after Saul left and he saw what David had done, David does something very fascinating in verse 8, let's read it. And David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stood with his face to the earth and bowed down. Wow. He bowed down to the man who was after his life. The man who was going to kill him just a few moments earlier who was prepared to nail him to the wall with a spear. At the moment, he's ministering to him. On an instrument to help him, Saul. Saul was going to skewer him to the wall. And yet he sees this man and he bows himself to the earth. He calls him my Lord, the King. If this is not the Holy Spirit at work in his life, I don't know what it is. And his willingness to let only good prevail. At the end of the day, Saul was so convicted of David's pursuit of goodness, that he will swear to David and even prophesy that David is indeed going to be king and that whatever happens, David should not wipe out his house or the house of Saul. So when we pursue good, when we allow goodness to fill us in spite of all that we are going through, if we pursue good, God will elevate us. God will raise us up to the place that he wants us to be. It may be painful. It may be difficult, but God is able. Let us see how David captures all of that in Psalm 142. And this is what he says. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. So this is David's focus. It's not vengeance. His focus is not to take God's timing out of the control of God, but to allow God to execute vengeance by himself. Because he says God will deal with him bountifully. And in Psalm 57, as we go back there to see how David wraps at that psalm in his prayer to God. This is what he says. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing praise and give praise. I awake my glory. I awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing to you among the nations for your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. He is in a different realm altogether. If you contrast him to Saul, this is a man indeed after God's own Dwelling in the caves, not knowing where he was going to go, God delivering his enemies into his hands and he's sparing them. He has the fortitude to elevate God in praise. Will you still be able to sing praise when life throws adversities at you? David chose to do good. He chose not to cloud the purposes of God with his own vengeance and anything. Let us learn from David's example that he the times of adversity, even if we are in the cave, we can still sing the song. We can still praise God. May God wish bless you for joining.
0: Amen. Of my life. I worship you today.
1: the book of Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28-29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest.